Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. The definition of miraculous. I wear many hats. I wear at least seven different hats. Four felt hats, and three hats of an indeterminate cloth. That's a technical foul. You know what I want? You know what I want? I want to talk about the Tigers. Scott Harris is going to have to take a risk. Number nine, J.J. McCarthy was unbelievable. An insane Detroit Lions win. Michigan beats Ohio State for the third year in a row. Come on! Wow! It's brutal because we're going to have 30 more games of this shit, and I'm already tired. Ah! Three in a row for Michigan. Back to back to back. The winners. Cool Keith isn't here. He doesn't play in the major league. Reach, reach your hand in your pants. You feel two testicles? All right. Ugh, they took me out. I'm burning. Numbers. Facts. I pay attention to that. When you feel it in your body, from somebody who... I love baseball, I'll watch baseball, watch baseball on mute if I have to. They've got a roster that slaps people silly. Let's go! Just enjoy it, just enjoy it. Oh, wow, welcome to the 100th episode of the Spiro Avenue Show, Chris. I don't know oh, if you is realize really? that. You're here as a special wow, guest, and okay. this is wow. number 100. I could say, let's just turn our mics off and let Ben play more Chris highlights. Honestly, what an intro that was. I appreciate it, Ben. Yeah, I know. And you, that was the first time you'd seen that as well. You were telling me off the air. So yeah, that was, yeah. somewhat by design. I asked him to do something special, but uh, he really cooked one up there. It was awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. So I can't think of a better, more fitting guest for number 100 for us. Kind of a big deal around here. Yeah, no, I well, I guess with the last time I was here, I was here with Evan. I do remember thinking, OK, yeah, you're getting close. I didn't know that tonight was uh, was the night. Though. So congratulations. Thank obviously, you. Uh, Thank journey you. that's lasted several years. One flood, and you still uh, you see you survive <laughs> you survived good, all that, and you're still cooking. So congratulations! Thank you, I appreciate it. You were there in the uh, first few, and uh, mm-hmm. when we were just an audio form, and here you are kicking it again on the big one zero zero. So look, we have a, a wide scope tonight. Obviously, yeah. there's a lot of things we want to cover. I want to get really into your journey, and uh, it's been just over a year now. So you have your own congratulations in order, and thank you. Th- th- those will come in in droves as we go forward here. I want to get some of the sports stuff, for lack of a better term, out of the way. Because I want to hit some of this stuff with you really quickly as a revisiting of our Tigers discussion. Yeah, We did a whole show on it. I was bitching about it. I started to kind of turn you on to my side. Okay, maybe they should be making big bids. Now we've seen what the Otani deal looks like. We're seeing what the Yamamoto deal might look like. 300 millions, all the rumors. Even I'm starting to say, holy shit. Okay, that's a little insane. Where are you at now, now that we've seen some of these deals unfold, we've seen some of our own unfold? Like, Have you amended your frustration with the Tigers? Are you good with where they're at? Where, where do you stand there? No, I have not amended it. No, not at all. In, in fact, it's actually enhanced. Uh, and, and my opinion regarding how I feel about next year's team uh, potentially has has kind of changed. Um, now, look, a week from now, this could be dated. Maybe maybe there, I, there's still a part of me that just wants to believe there is a trick up their sleeve. There's a trade that's coming, something that's going to get me excited here. And I ultimately, despite my criticism, still think they can have a competitive team. I think 
pretty much had a competitive team last year. You know, got off to the terrible start. Then after that, they were above 500 the last like 150 games or something. But I really thought, um, even though I was not and continue not to be a big fan of this free agent class, I felt like, look, okay, you got you got a you're in that 78 win range, and I very often teams that are kind of in that 70 to 80 win range have kind of big off seasons the next year. Uh, because they feel like, okay, maybe the window is open. Diamondbacks, prime example of that, you know, 70-something wins. Uh, they, they're in the World Series last year. I know they only won 84, but still, you know, they upgraded their roster. They made moves. They they did things at the deadline to improve their bullpen. So I felt like, okay, this is an opportunity, whether in the trade market or the free agent market, to improve to get better. Um, I don't believe that's how they view next year's team. I think that they view next year's team as another stepping stone building block year with year three being the year where, I mean, I'm not even going to say where they go for it because I don't I don't know what that means, what what Chris Illich's definition of going for it is. I, I, I know what my definition is, you know, which is like back the dump truck up for Juan Soto type of stuff. You know, I, even outside of him, I don't know uh, what that free agent class looks like, but I don't, quite frankly, I, I here's my big issue, man, is in 2022, they had like the worst offense ever. They were unwatchable. Like they, they couldn't get guys on base. They struck out all the time. They couldn't hit for power. We are now potentially going to go two consecutive off seasons in which they sign zero bats. Like if I, and I, I praise the can of trade, good move, professional hitter. But I, I'm sorry, like if you're coming away from this two years with Mark Hanna, like I, I need I need a lot more offensively. I know the pitching injuries have sucked and I give Harris credit for acknowledging that we need to add rotational depth. But the sad truth is, man, last year with all the pitching injuries they had and it was brutal. They had pitching injuries coming into the year. They had pitching injuries throughout the year. If they had a league average offense, they probably win the central. So you can't say, oh, well, it's just the pitching. Injury. I wish I could just blame the pitching injuries. They've had a bottom five offense every year for the last six, seven years. Last year, I thought they were significantly better than they were in 22. And they were still like 28th in, in, in like average, average runs per game, runners in scoring position, like all the major categories. Do I think they get better this year? Yes, because I, I, the player development part of the Scott Harris era, I have full faith in. Faith in, in the farm system, faith that Carpenter and Torkelson and Green take steps forward. To what extent do they become stars? I don't know, but I know that they're good players. But I just... When I watch the really good teams in baseball that make deep runs to the postseason, that get to the postseason at all, you get to their number eight, number nine hitter. It's like, God, that guy puts together good at bat. That guy can that guy can move runners. There's like four guys here that I that I like, which will be okay. That will make them competitive. But the idea of them really pushing to be a team that can win the central. I'm not seeing it right now. And we are still early. Like you said, Otani kind of kicked off the free agency boom, so to speak. But man, I don't know. The Royals are spending money and you're just kind of you're just kind of sitting back. I just feel like there's some missed opportunities here. They're really not doing anything of note like the the Flaherty thing. One year deal like, OK, Tigers aren't winning the World Series. Nobody thinks that. So even if you're of the belief, OK, Federal fix them. OK, then he's going to go and he'll get paid 25 somewhere else because we God knows we're not going to pay him. Right. I just at what point are you making the substantive like real four to seven to eight year, whatever, 10 years of its soda? It might be 15. Like when is the big deal where it's like, okay, they're doing something here because Jack Flaherty is just an expensive version of Tyson Ross, Matt Moore, like that whole run of one-year deals where this guy's not going to be here. Maybe you flip them. Maybe you don't. Either way, they're not going to be here when the team's ready to contend. It either goes well and you flip them or they leave as a free agent, make a lot more money or it doesn't go well and it didn't go well and right. that's not good either. So there's no, there's no like good outcome here, big picture, because nobody thinks they're going to contend this year. I mean, 
division because it's so bad. That's the only hope that I have right here is like if <laughs> and I hate doing this because it's so like, you know, fan, fan, fandom, like, you know, blind hope. But it's like, OK, I mean, they were in the last 150 games and above 500 team that in this division throughout an entire season is good enough to at least play meaningful baseball deep into September. So it's like I'm not I'm probably sounding more pessimistic than I actually am. It's just I think that there's three elements for every president slash GM that matter. There's drafting, there's player development, and then there's trades and free agent signings. You know, the extracurricular is what you do. I have a ton of faith in two of those three things with Scott Harris. I have faith in drafting. I have faith in the player development. But every team that's winning a World Series that's making deep runs through October at some point takes risks, makes a big splash in free agency, has a lopsided trade that they win. And uh, we've, we haven't seen many trades from Harris. The, the best trade he made was the one he didn't make, probably, was when Erod, you know, nicks that deal. So there, that's the one thing that concerns me right now, because I feel like they've had multiple opportunities to make the team better, and they just haven't. They blew the draft in the first round last year, or the, this year, I guess. They, they blew that. You, in the short term, it's undeniable because Wyatt Langford's going to be on the roster like this year. He's like a thousand OPS and high minors already. Yeah, but I, I, I can't, I can't go that far yet. Obviously, yeah, in the short term, yes, but I don't know. Didn't like it. Yeah, no, I didn't either. And I made, I made a video about it at the time saying I didn't like it either. But yeah. I just literally, I, I'm not as well versed on scouting and like paying attention to college bats so i like the only reason i wanted wyatt langford was because i saw him in omaha and the guy was raking like that's not a legitimate like reason to be like oh well clearly max clark's going to be a bust i i it's i don't like it solely because it is every bit as risky as some of the moves that avila made in the draft that's the the one thing that bothers me is like i feel like yeah maybe you got the you got the higher ceiling it's also that way lower floor yeah people that get paid to do this for a living strictly in the scouting front also had Langford ahead of Clark on there. Yeah. That, I mean, it was the same thing with Meyer and Job. And, you know, we'll see. Marcel was banged up and was playing with a broken wrist for the entire year. I haven't yeah. written him off. I still don't. I, like I, that. I'm actually I've kind of turned a corner on Job. Like, I, I think he's actually healthy. He's he's finally healthy. I think his yeah. stuff is legitimately great. And it, those are the things about the Harris era that excite me because I just like. I know you could say it's a coincidence, but I would just feel like if Avila was still here, he'd somehow still be injured. Like, it's just one of those weird things that you just it, it seemed like everything that could have gone wrong did when he was here. He's healthy. Some of the guys in the minors are healthy. But I, and I made a video about this. I really I'm kind of done giving a shit about what the future is going to look like. I, I we're eight years into this. Like, I want to know what next year is going to be. Can you can you compete for the central? Maybe compete. But man, I feel like there's a window of opportunity here that they're not taking. Last thing on the Tigers. And one thing we do know is coming. These improvements to Comerica Park. Yes. Do you and I deserve in the entirety of the credit for this? You for your blog, me for my tweets, shaming them with the terrible pictures of the decaying Hall of Fame. It's an insane coincidence. I, I but I'll give I'm actually going to credit them for this. I think maybe unlike previous regimes, you know, Scott Harris is a younger guy. I, I, I bet he lurks on social media. I bet he's aware of what the fan base reaction is to this stuff. I, I think that it's indicative of a bigger problem that he's been trying to solve here, which is he won't admit to it just because he's pretty tight lipped. I think when he got here, he was stunned by how dated everything was, how dated the analytics department was, how dated the fucking team plane was, the clubhouse, everything. And I think he's a big morale guy, big wants to push this thing into the 21st century and said, yeah, look, I I might not be getting the blank checks to spend the money I want to spend. But I'm getting the blank checks to make the upgrades that I can make right now. And I do think it's it's minor, but it does matter. I think it I think it does. 100% it, matters. it matters to a certain. I mean, you talk, hear players all the time say like, man, I played in Tampa Bay. It fucking sucked. Like we, we had to pay for food and shit like, you know, pay for our drinks, stuff like that. I think to have. 
that kind of 21st century sheen over the organization is a big step uh, in the right direction. Now, it's not the only step. There's a lot, a lot of bigger steps that need to be taken. But yeah, it is. Uh, I do think they've listened to some of the, that criticism. And, and I think and, and Valenti did multiple segments about it, too. And I think I think everyone was right where you've you reached a point with Comerica where it's not at that disaster area where it's like this park just stinks now. Like, I think Roger Center in, in Toronto kind of reached that point where they had a huge renovation because they were probably 10 years too late to renovate. Comerica has been open uh, since 2000. So we're coming up on that quarter century mark. I think that's a perfect window of opportunity to say, okay, let's give this place a facelift. Let's let's make the place look better, better sound system. They added LED lights last year. I think it'll be it'll continue to be a great place to watch a game. I agree. I love the park. It just needed some assistance and yeah. some TLC. It, it, and it's had, getting there. it had that early 2000s. Like, you know, I thought I saw a fucking Circuit City at the last time I was there. You know, it's like it's <laughs> which, again, like there's all, there's a charm to that, too. Yeah. But it's like uh, the, with each yeah. passing day, it's like that's not going to connect with a lot of the younger fans. It, it wasn't charming old like Fenway. It was just old. Right. Old. It was bad. And I think especially, you know, with. And look, I get it. There's a many, many a justified complaint about the Detroit district and everything. But LCA is a state of the art yes. facility. Ford Field, which is 20 something years old now. I mean, I think 2002. The 2002. Yeah. yeah. Really nice. You know, is they've kept that place, you know, pretty tight. So I think that they just they want to make sure that it's uh, it's kind of not the black sheep of the stadium district. And uh, and in it, it won't be. I think it'll be beautiful. I'm with you on 100 percent of that. I don't know if I'm going to be with you on this one. <sighs> University of Michigan's basketball coach. Yeah. Look, I, you know what? I got shredded for this last year, mm-hmm. and I, I started bringing this up. I have legitimate concerns about Juwan Howard. Mm-hmm. Just take the Michigan State thing out of it. If I were a Michigan fan or if I'm just an observer of college basketball and I'm trying to predict how this ends, I have for pretty much a year now said I don't think this ends well. I had Greg Guadel yep. and Carter Elliott. In studio, we had this long discussion, 45 minutes on it, which we won't be that long. But Ben, play the montage we put together that Greg took great issue with at the time. And then I want to reset this conversation. This is some of what Juwan Howard has been up to since he's been the University of Michigan head basketball coach. As the play ended leading into the timeout, Juwan Howard had actually been walking toward his players, pointing to his head as if to say, use your head. There was a little trash talking on between the Michigan and Maryland players. Because I was raised by Chicago and I grew up in the South Side. When guys charge you, it's time to defend yourself. That's all I did. Just stood up for myself and my program and said, don't talk to me. And then it escalated. Howard and guard are not happy right now. As the two of them continue to have words, we told you Jawan Howard was not happy about that timeout. Yo, and Jawan Howard just threw a right hand. For someone to touch me, and I think that was very uncalled for for him to touch me as we were verbalizing and communicating with one another. So um, that's what ended up happening, and that's what escalated it. That's where it started, that he said, I'll remember that, I'll remember that. And I said, hey, let me tell you, why I did what I did, and he didn't want any part of it, and um, kept moving on. So, throwing a punch by Jawan Howard at a Wisconsin assistant is the worst behavior of all the really boorish, churlish behaviors. He should not be allowed to coach another game this season. And if he ends up getting fired, um, if he ends up avoiding getting fired. He would be a very lucky individual. The Sun Devils take the Legends Classic Championship. There's a little bit of a tussle after the whistle. Okay, so Greg got very mad at me about, about the that last one. one. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, which yeah. is fine. 
I and I, I gave him that. But the pattern here is bad. Okay. And I said I don't like what I'm seeing now. And it just dropped before yeah, a few our hours show ago, started. Yeah. Ward Manuel has cleared Jawan Howard. But before we get into this, I want to play the Jeff Goodman clip where Jeff Goodman's breaking down this issue with John Sanderson, the trainer right, at Michigan. Okay. He's reporting this scuffle or whatever argument, whatever it was, between Juwan Howard and the head basketball trainer at the University of Michigan, a guy that's been there since the Beeline era. Very highly respected part. I mean, very well liked. When when I was talking to people about this, I mean, there and I don't, I'm sure it still exists, but like it was kind of this thing. Camp Sanderson was kind of this thing that turned boys into men for during the Beeline era. Like you have that freshman year, you get your sea legs under you. You come back the next summer and, you know, that's that's a big reason why guys like Stauskas and Trey Burke had these big second years was, you know, they just got stronger. They got bigger. So he's yes. a very it's important to note that because he's not some he's not somebody's fucking cousin. I mean, he was you know, he's a very well respected part of, of of Michigan athletic and by all accounts, a badass and is, you know, worthy of respect. Yeah. So this is Jeff Goodman reporting on the rumored interaction that Joanna Howard had with his head basketball trainer at University of Michigan. Ben, can you play that for us? What my sources tell me, and this was all multiple sources telling me, chest to chest, nose to nose, before they had to be separated. And uh, after it, there was really no other mention. I haven't talked to anybody today, but before that, of from Juwan to anybody uh, in the program, he didn't address the players or anything like that. And John Sanderson did not travel with the team. He stepped away from the team for a couple of days and was not there when they beat Iowa on the road. On, on Sunday afternoon. So you have the head basketball coach in this interaction with the head trainer. And it's so bad, at least in the trainer's mind, that he's not going to travel with the team. Yeah. He's, he's away from the team and clearly reported this by yes. many accounts. This is with a coach on a zero tolerance policy based on his history. Ward Manuel comes out, clears him, whatever. We don't have to get into Ward's decision there. But just as a Michigan fan, you care about this stuff a lot. Yeah. Are you not alarmed? Are you not perplexed that Juwan would even be in a situation where he would be investigated? Like, what do you make of this whole thing? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot to respond to there. First, I want it, the situation involving Sanderson. Uh, there's somebody I it just I don't know why I'm, I'm even doing this, but that Jace Howard's name has been mentioned as a part of this. Uh, had l limited interactions with Jace, but nothing but positive like. Great kid. I, I, it's, I think it sucks that he's kind of in the middle of this. Um, he's, a, he's a captain of the team, been around, you know, was a walk on. You know, people can claim nepotism, but the guy's worked his butt off. I legitimately think that this was a frustration from the fact that he just hasn't been able to see the court. Uh, he's been dealing with a stress fracture in his leg. So it sucks that he's kind of part of this narrative. As far as the bigger picture involving, you know, uh, what it is with Juwan, yeah, it is concerning. And it's, look, it's concerning. And people can act like this isn't the case, but. It, it doesn't make things any better that they're not particularly successful on the court right now. Uh, I mean, I think that like in a way, you know, Michigan State kind of went through something similar with Mel Tucker, where if that incident would have broken during the 11 and two season, I think there probably would have been a little bit more, a few more people coming to his defense. The fact that it happened when things were kind of already spiraling, you know, it just adds insult to injury. Um, the one thing I will say, and I've tried to get some knowledge of this situation. I, I don't have much of an in uh, with, with, with anybody, but people he was very close to getting fired for the Wisconsin incident. Um, it like, this was something that kind of, they, they ended up suspending him for the remainder of the regular season. He came back uh, for the, uh, the big 10 tournament game and for the, the three uh, NCAA tournament games they played. But that was, that was a bigger incident than some people 
let on. Like that was closer to see you later than some people think because Michigan basketball, unlike Michigan football, um, and I'm not even saying I agree with this. They're number one. They just don't want to ruffle a shit ton of feathers, especially after the Fab Five stuff, which still kind of lingers over the program. It's like they want they want beeline cleanness, maintaining clean program, well-respected, you know, don't want to be in the news, don't want to have to read negative press clippings. So that was not uh, that that was not a, obviously a positive moment for um, Juwan. Now, at the same time, I said, look, especially and we'll talk about it with some things that, that I've gone through. I really am a believer in the ability to rehabilitate yourself, get better, improve. So when that happened uh, against Wisconsin, I said, this is a terrible look right now. But five years down the road, 10 years down the road, we could see this as something of a positive. Hey, he grew from this. He got better from this. Uh, he's become a well-respected coach. The players love him. The administration loves him. You know, he's been a classy guy. Like, I I love those arcs. I love seeing people make those kind of improvements. So I was I was not in favor of firing him at the time. But you institute a zero tolerance policy for a reason. I'll be honest, dude. I'm surprised he's not. I'm surprised he's the coach today. I thought that he was going to be let go because you instituted this zero tolerance policy. Even if he didn't do anything, the fact that there is something that was reported, uh, I thought would be enough. Uh, I have zero knowledge of the situation beyond that. Maybe there's more that we uh, that hasn't been reported. It's definitely possible. I trust Ward Manuel's judgment here. but it is I and I hate that because I, I legitimately I like Juwan and I've I've I think there are good things that he's done here. But man, this this kind of dark cloud keeps hanging over the program right now with multiple instances. Um, I'm not I'm not even going to call it behavioral issue. But one thing that that uh, John Sanderson pointed out, potentially a culture issue, you know, whether whether you think it extends to the players or not. You know, it's it's frustrating that these things keep happening. And and as somebody who's never met Juwan, but who knows people who have, it feels like it's it's a legitimate problem because it's not a reflection of his like, you know, some people just snap and and you can't the idea of having that lead in your program, you know, especially at, at a place like Michigan, it's not it's just not a great look. What what are you basing the trust in word manual on? That's I guess it's a good question. I I no, I guess I'm basing my trust on the fact that I think he was very close to firing him the first time with the Wisconsin thing. And if I think if he felt like this was anything at all, he'd be gone. Uh so I, I think that there was kind of a deep dive into this. Turned out to I I, I mean I can't call it nothing because it made the news. People have talked about it, Goodman talked about it, but not enough to be grounds for for termination. I was told by somebody up there that Sanderson's like a great guy. Same here. Yeah. What is by someone that has lunch with them a couple times a year at least and said that, look, I don't know what happened. I wasn't there. But if Sanderson was so perturbed that he was like, I'm not going on that trip. F you. Yeah. Just by default, even without Juan's lacking of the benefit of the doubt with his history, his inclination was, man, if Sanderson was that hot and that like piss that I'm not even going to go on the trip. Juwan must have been way out of line. Well, it could have been, though. It could have been more so a I don't want to cause any more of a distraction than what's already been caused. So I'm going to step away. It doesn't from seem this. that way by the reporting. I mean, Jeff Goodman, first of all. You know, it's in the eye of the beholder. I take Jeff Goodman's reporting. I mean, that was gospel, but I believe it. He's a credible guy. Yeah. And I've heard he's not the only one who's reported similar things. That's true. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. was this was something that it broke and it's actually gotten watered down because the original report that was leaking on message boards and shit was that he punched the guy, which turned out to be bullshit. So it's it's kind of been it's kind of gone down and down. I do believe that that's the official right. report. Yeah. And his story is by multiple sources that he's citing here that they had to be separated. Like yeah. that's 
interesting to me. Just the way that is phrased is they, they had to be separated. They were nose to nose was the quote. I mean, that's what if they're not separated? What mm-hmm. happens are obviously you don't know, but you can't be in that situation if you're Dwan Howard. And again, I'm all for the, the growth and stuff. I'm shocked he wasn't fired at the, after the Wisconsin incident. My biggest issue from the objective standpoint, as hard as that may be for someone to believe I can get there, was Juwan Howard's reaction after. Because yeah. he had this like 20-minute cooldown period, and then he goes up there and doubles down and defends the action. It wasn't like heat of the moment, like not to bring up the tunnel incident, but like the tunnel incident was unacceptable, but at least it was like this kind of bang-bang stupid decision to, to be in the situation where... I'm reflecting upon it for 20 minutes and then I'm going to gather myself and take a swig of my Fiji water, sit down and and then defend it. That to me was the most troubling part of it, even more so than the initial interaction. Where's your head at like in terms of how does this end? Am I crazy to think that this ends in an incident rather than, oh, we don't like the on-court results. We're going to brush them out here. It seems like it's going to end in an incident. I mean, you're not crazy for feeling that way because it almost has twice. I thought it just did. Right. So you can't like, yeah, you're not crazy for feeling. That's like saying that you worry that a guy who's always injured is going to end his career with an injury. It's like, yeah, there's kind of a mountain of evidence. Um, Right now, and look, if this season goes where I think it's going, which is them being completely subpar, missing the NCAA tournament, potentially missing the NIT. I think it will make Ward, uh, everything else that's happened will make Ward Manuel's decision a lot easier. So I'm going to, just because I do like him and I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to see somebody go out in disgrace like that. Uh, because of that, I think it ends before we get to another incident like that solely based on on-court performance. Uh, Cause that, I mean, you know, that's that's been the issue right now. I mean, they're not they're just not playing well. They're not they're not adding talent. They're not gelling. They're not mixing. Um, that's kind of been the real the the real problem here. But yeah, I I if I had to guess, I would say it's it's more performance based than than uh, actions on or off the court. Let's keep it in the immediate future. Let's say he has his seventh incident in four years. Uh, a month from now, he punches. He'll be gone. Or He'll be gone. Right. We, yeah. I think we. Yeah. We all, that's ob- that's obvious. Yeah. Would you call John Beeline? <laughs> uh, I'm okay. No, no, you don't call no. John. Okay. I don't. And I'll tell you why. One, just the principle of that. I just uh, it's like getting back together with somebody like I, I just I worry that the sequel won't be as good as the original and it could tarnish his legacy to a certain extent Two, John Beeline has never coached in the age of NIL. He's never coached in the age of the transfer portal. And while he is a master of adapting, which he did multiple times at Michigan, I just don't know, given his age, given how long he's been in the game if he'd be willing to dive headfirst into that, that realm. Like, say what you will about Juwan, he has. I mean, he's been active in the portal. He was active on recruiting trips. You can, uh, we can go back and forth about how effective some of these recruits were, and those arguments are, are legitimate. But, like, there was, for a brief period here, we talked about in your show, a lot of momentum in the Juwan Howard era, and a big part of that was because of him. I also think with Beeline, there's a short shelf life. How many years? Four, five, yeah, maybe? Even in the good version. And yeah. even, right. Even if things go really well, it probably takes two of those years just to get back to potentially where you were. And at that point, how are recruits, are they going to be willing to commit to a guy who probably is going to be rumored to retire the next year or the year after that? I think the best move would be go out and try to find somebody who you believe can be a long-term option like which is what they did with juan i mean there was skepticism about the hire i was skeptical about the hire but in 
principle, the idea of what they were going going for, a guy who's been around the NBA, who's going to be able to recruit, and who's relatively young and probably won't retire or bolt for another job after two or three years. Um, that made sense. I want the the idea behind that hire is something I would continue to go with. Um, I, I and I that's not a knock on Beeline. I love Beeline. He's a man. Those teams are some of my favorite teams of all time. But I just think the game has changed and uh, it provides you with an opportunity to bring in a coach who's adapted to that. Even if it were on a glorified interim basis, it would make sense if you didn't have Phil Martelli sitting right there. Yeah, you have be, a veteran. Right. That's great. Well, then, yeah. And that'd be that'd be cool. But yeah, no, you're right about that. Is And I, I honestly have talked about this with people. I feel bad for Martelli because I think when he was brought on, he's like, hey, you know what? I was at St. St. Joe's for for a million years, you know, I, I, I overachieved consistently, made the tournament, made the elite eight, no four. Now I can just kind of sit back, be second, third fiddle here. And now he's been like, he's coached like half the games the last three years. <laughs> like I feel, uh, well, it's a pattern at the uh, university of Michigan, right, so, yeah. these assistants uh, yeah, I know. coaching half the schedule. But at least, at least Sharon Moore is this young jumpstart. Like I can't wait to get a head coaching job one day. Yeah. Martelli's been through this. He's, he just wants to chill out, but uh you know, I still, yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, I think uh, they're kind of comparable in that way. Both, both basketball lifers that have been around the game. Last thing on this thing, are, are, are you, did you see the Caleb Love statement or his story about why it fell through at Michigan? Did you read that? I saw your tweet about it. All I know is what's been reported to me, which is that the attempt to bring him into the program from the beginning was mismanaged. <laughs> Does it bother you? Because he's in that Terrence Shannon basket now of he couldn't get through. Yes, it bothers me. Okay. It bothers me because, and, and people have disputed this with me on social media, and I just, I'm telling you, they're wrong. I don't like when Michigan basketball is living under this assumption that they need to be second fiddle to Michigan football. And I'm telling you, if Terrence Shannon played fucking wide receiver, he would have been in the program. Like that's, that's what bothers me about these instances where, and I can't even put that on Juwan. Juwan did the right thing. Hey, this guy was playing in the national championship two years ago. Let's bring him on last year's Michigan team for all the underachieving. They are potentially legitimately men, a second weekend team of Terrence Shannon is on that roster. Uh, and you know, you, 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 you're left with a million. What ifs? So I, I haven't done a ton of research on everything that went wrong, but the fact that he's not here, it bothers me. Because it, it it's they've needed they've needed more shooters they've needed more scores they've needed more experience all those things love would add and yeah he would have been we've talked about it and I saw him play like he would have been probably had those inefficient nights but he's a legitimate college basketball player on a roster that desperately needs a few more hey, I mean he's gonna have nights where he scores thirty plus and yeah. just carries your ass so yeah. yeah and ultimately I think with McDaniel on the roster too they could kind of balance that out in a weird way like McDaniel's kind of like that too I, I like McDaniel quite a bit but streaky fast. You kind of know in the first five minutes if they're going to be going for 30 or they're going to be going for five type of type yeah. of performance. So I feel like that would have been a really good one two punch, but we'll never see it. I don't think you guys care that much. It's such a football school. It's, I, it is. It's why the beeline era, I think, was so special is that it was in this weird window where they were not good in football. And not only was the basketball team great, but you you had to care because you didn't want, you know. I mean, you know, Rich Rod's de Rich Rod's defenses were giving up more points than Beeline's defenses were, you know, like, like it was. <laughs> they were. Yeah. So it's like it, it was it became this really fun thing where they were the biggest game in town. But over the last three years, because this is I'm, I'm new to this. I'm new to Michigan football being fucking awesome. Like this is not a, 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 a thing that I've experienced a whole lot of. You really do see the way the pendulum swings in that direction, even when the basketball team is good. Um. I don't like that because I love Michigan basketball. I don't 
abide by the belief that every school needs to be or just football or just basketball type of thing. I've seen them. I've seen more Michigan basketball success in my life probably than I have Michigan football success at this point. So I'm with you. I wish I wish there was a greater emphasis on it because I know what they can be when they're great. But yeah, I mean, if Michigan football went three and nine any given year, I'd be furious that they won three times. Like the basketball program, I don't have that level of disdain. I think it's part of it is programs are only as likable or unlikable as their coaches. And for the most part, like. Michigan fans now love Harbaugh, but I don't care how much you like, like the guy's a weirdo. Like he's, he's our weirdo and we love him. He's been successful. Michigan basketball's never had that kind, at least in recent history, had that kind of polar polarizing coach like Amaker, you know, tough situation goes to Harvard. He's done a wonderful job at Harvard. Beeline was like fucking Mr. Rogers being your coach for like 13 years. Even Juwan, those first few years, like people are like, man, he's doing a good job. I like it. Like he, it really sucks because dude, Three years ago, even two years ago at this time, Juwan was like the hot name. He was, he was national coach of the year three years ago. And I know people can discredit the COVID year. That team was really good. That roster was really good. And I think they could have made it as far as they did, even with rules, you know, being uh, normalized if, uh, in a non-COVID world. But yeah, it's um, it's sad how quickly things have kind of gone off the track. Even Michigan State people like John Beeline. Like, I, I know. I, yeah. I no, that, that, was, that was a healthy... Yeah. Healthy rivalry for about a decade. Tom Izzo really likes him. Yeah. I mean, he said that on record and, you know, off record too. He's he's fond of Beeline as a person and as a coach. Yeah. So someone perhaps more polarizing than John Beeline, at least, I, you know, I'm not a, a, a stooly Barcel guy. I'm not anti-Barcel, but I don't follow it religiously like some of your fans do. No. Ben Mintz, your, your boy. <laughs> yes. This is the last thing I want to hit on before we get into you. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know where to begin. I asked Ben to do a cut up of your boss. Your mutual boss, Dave Portnoy, yeah. just unloading on him. One of the funniest videos I've ever seen. Just as a guy that doesn't like always indulge in the Barstool stuff. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I can't explain this properly. He gave some game show thing away or something. You guys do. We'll start with the video and then I'm going to get it back in your lap, Chris. Ben, can you play Portnoy just unloading on poor Ben Mintz uh, this week? You spoiled survivor. What? How fucking dumb are you? Shut the fuck up, you fucking dummy. You, you, how can, and why don't you have a fucking dump button, you fucking dumb? We already know you can't talk for more than a second without fucking something up. No, I'm sorry there's a dude missing. Well, I don't, shut the fuck up! I'm fucking dumb with you. Where are you? I, I ran, No, you don't fucking run away. You don't run away. Get your ass here. No, I'll come back. I'll be back in right now. Take that hat off, like, like, what are you doing? What, in what world? First of all, did you know that we didn't have a dump button? You can't speak without a dump button. <laughs> so, what what happened here? Okay, so, why is he in so much shit over there? Okay, so let, yeah, let me explain this. Yeah, explain. First of all, I want to say straight up, I dearly love both of those guys. Dave, <laughs> I, like, legitimately, I'm not even trying to save face. Dave, Dave changed my life. Mincy's become my closest friend at the company. Like, I watch that and laugh because I know both those guys, but I totally understand both points of view, and I'll explain why. Obviously, Ben fired for that incident several last summer uh, in large part because that was a live show with no ability to dump out of um, dump out of things that should probably be dumped out. Uh, Dave buys back the company uh, where Mincy gets his show back. And we have this uh, reality show, Surviving Barstool. That was a big thing. They brought in all the A-listers from the Barstool world. They were down to four people. And Mincy spoiled one of the people that was eliminated. I think he he said there's there's three people left instead of four, maybe five. And so they, he did spoil 
at least one episode. We had these episodes on pay-per-view, so it probably cost, you know, potentially the company X amount of money. And there was not a dump button in place. So Dave's frustration there stems from the fact that I, I can't have this guy going on the air ever in a live situation unless there is an inability to dump out of it. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's what ended up happening. Uh, that's about as angry as I've ever seen Dave. I've never gotten that version of Dave's wrath before. I, I hope I never do because I probably wouldn't be sitting here. But um, no, I it was. And the thing is, I get asked all the time about about Barstool stuff and about not just Ben, but other people there is like, you know, how much of it is real? How much of it is a character like? The best thing about Ben Mintz is how unbelievably authentic he is. And the fact like if he was here in the studio, like in in 10 minutes, you'd be like you'd feel like the guy was your best friend. You'd be he'd be telling stories about like, you know, him being a poker player, him growing up in the South, watching, you know, Ole Miss football, probably telling some stories about Omaha when me and him went to like you'd fall in love with the guy. But uh, he has had a propensity to to, to slip up every so often. And that's uh, that's another instance of uh, what happened. Yeah, no, that was. um. That was being spread like wildfire, but uh, I didn't even know Dave was in Chicago until I saw it either. So picked a bad day to be there, I guess. But uh, it all worked out. Uh, the show, by all means, is very successful. Right now, that wake, wake up Mincy is on hiatus until they find a dump button, which I think they'll probably be able to do in the near future. But uh, the one thing I, I, I will also say is like I know n- nobody feels worse about this stuff than Mincy. Like it really, like it does, because the the thing is, when you do a show like that, it's not just you, man. There's production people, there's camera people, like the behind the scenes people at Barstool, they're kind of the real MVPs of this whole thing. I mean, they work insanely, insanely hard. Uh, You know, it's like, uh, it's like they have like a hundred Ben Augusta's on set at like one time, just kind of doing, you know, uh, making things happen. So, you know, it really impacts multiple people. Ben felt that. And it's just, in the barstool world, like that's you just got to take it. Like you, it's one of those things. Over time, maybe people move on from it, maybe you don't, but it becomes part of lore, and you just got to accept it. But it wasn't like the first incident where he's you know singing the rap lyric. Like he didn't know right away that he had blown it, right? No, nah, he did. Yeah, he did. Oh, he did. Yeah, okay. yeah. The uh, the video, the episode was removed from YouTube, but it's back up now because surviving barstool is over, so they just they post it. Uh, Okay, he might not have known right away, but right after he said it, somebody off camera said to him, like, hey, man, no, there's only three people left in there. Yeah, because he mentioned in the Portnoy thing, which wasn't in our short clip, like he hadn't watched it yet or something. Yeah, he was at dinner the night before. Yeah. When when he says, uh, I ran on the phone and, and Portnoy cuts him off and says, no, you don't run. I don't think he was saying like I ran away. He was going to it sounded like he was saying I ran up to the store to grab something or something. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. He was going to come back. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he wasn't hiding. You know, no, 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 because no, he, he works in those offices every day. So it wasn't like, and that show was early in the morning. So it wasn't like, all right, it's 10 AM. My day's over. He was going to come back. It was just, yeah, it, it was one of those things where he leaves as Dave comes in, you know, in, in the barstool world, you got to stay, you got to stay there. You got to take it. I mean, yeah. obviously Portnoy is the one that we pulled the clip from his tweet on the video. And obviously somebody had to film that for that to yeah. happen. I'm sure he's aware of it being a thing. Like, is there any element of that that's performative? Like if that camera's not rolling, does that interaction last the same as any part of that? Not, fake but like just a little bit performative to eventually be posted for content. this is going to be an interesting comp and it will probably bother some people but i compare dave to a certain extent to somebody like a tom Izzo, where with mincy yes that's real he knows he can talk to ben like that ben has an unbelievably thick skin and he's got a fucking rubber band man he just bounces back from everything but i have seen instances of certain things happening at the company where he knows i can't talk to that person that way so no i don't view that particular instance as 
performative. But there's other people at the company where he'd be like, yeah, I probably wouldn't be the smartest idea for me to rip into this guy and fucking verbally assault this guy on camera, you know, type of thing. So I, I that's I there's an authenticity to it, but it's naive to believe that every single person who's ever gotten in trouble gets talked to that way. It's in your like your barstool world is so fascinating to me because in any other context, like that video, if that incident even happened, like that type of interaction, I mean, yeah, you know, employee to boss, it would be a horror story. You know, like Ellen got in trouble for having a rule that you couldn't look her in the eye right. and stuff. That's like a thousand times worse than Ellen's stuff that, you know, got her nearly canceled and got her in a lot of heat. Not, not only does it happen and it's not a problem. Like the boss who is the, you know, bully, quote unquote, in the situation is the one posting it. I don't have a problem with that. I, to me, it's like consenting adults. Yeah. I don't care what. And the thing do. is, you didn't even uh, and there was more to it by the end of that arc, by the end of that, yeah. like uh, uh, Viva TV uh, episode, mm -hmm. Mincy and, and Dave were sitting and laughing. It's like it really is like I compare it to like those Tom Izzo things like with Aaron Henry, where it's like everyone made such a huge deal out of it. And then even after the game, Aaron Henry was like, what are you guys even talking about? Like, yeah, coach and I talked after, like it's like whatever, like we're, we're yeah. cool with it now. It's just there's certain ways that people handle other people. And yeah, it's how it goes. Yeah, I, I'm fascinated by the whole Barcelona thing. It's like a, it's, it's so interesting to me The interactions that Portnoy has. He's he's hilarious. I'm uh, a big fan of your guys college football content. I think yeah. that's, that's my favorite. You know, my you know, my boy Walker. Yeah, is, uh, he's the best. Uh, but Portnoy, I could just listen to a, a montage or watch a montage of that guy yelling at you guys. Yeah. yeah Are you no, scared of Dave Portnoy at all? You have to be. I think it's human to be like and, and it's not even in a sense of like, oh, it's it's Dave, but it's your boss. Like everyone's to a certain extent afraid of their boss. I here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of letting Dave down is what is what worse. And I'm like that with a lot of people. But like I feel really indebted to Dave and to Barstool. And we'll talk about some personal stuff in, in a second where, you know, this, you know, some things have happened, but it's like, I, I feel like, look, there's the one, one great thing. Even people who don't like Barstool can say this. Not many companies would see some hardworking, you know, like kind of weird guy who's working at a gas station and say, dude, I want to bring that guy into this huge world, this sports media company. The fact that he took that chance on me in a matter of hours. It wasn't like some extreme vetting process. He just said, this guy's funny. I want to hire him. The fact that he did that, I feel immense gratitude. And I, I, my fear is that I get to a point where him or somebody at the company tells me I'm disappointed in you. That's my fear. Like it, it, because I feel like I owe them the best version of myself. Like when you see some of these instances of him unloading on people, which is usually pretty funny, you would think that the inclination for the employees would be going forward to be walking on eggshells, but it's actually the opposite. People seem comfortable there. Well, there's, well, yeah, well, I, there is a respect that he, a lot of people believe he has to people that stand up to him. Um, I'm not going to test that theory. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going to be, I'm just going to try to fall in line and be a good boy. Put the you know? Dante out and yeah, stare at the wall I've, like Vince. I've, I've given them enough nonsense, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, but yeah, there's truth to that. I mean, yeah, there's there's almost like a, a a Fletcher from Whiplash type of type of philosophy where it's like I want I want you to fight back, I want you to be that pissed off type of thing. Yeah, he'd be a really interesting guy to sit with for an hour and just get kind of unfiltered, like no cameras, just be like, hey man, you know, why do you do things? When the way you, you talk do? to him for five minutes, you immediately, even if you didn't know what he does, you would assume right away this is a guy who does something like he 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 is a figure in the, like there's a presence that he commands just talking to him. Like the first time I talked to him on the phone, it's just like, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's Dave. And part of it was, you know, growing up with Barstool, watching Barstool, but it was, yeah, it was, it was surreal. He's a fascinating guy. Yeah. Really interesting guy. All right. 
Let's get to you, Chris. Oh, boy. So what are we at now? A year and how many days? Uh, <laughs> it's nine, right? Yeah, year and nine yeah. days. Okay. So quite a journey for you. Yeah. I wanted to start it like this. Your reaction to the countdown. You, you put the, you know, as you want to do, you put your reaction and your real-time experience of crossing that one-year yeah. mark out for everybody to see in real time. Mm -hmm. I wanted to grab that. I hope you'll forgive me for doing that, but I think it's important to frame kind of I might have to use the bathroom while you're while you're playing it, but <laughs> as, as this washes over you and you can get up if you need. To, yeah. Okay, right. But uh, Ben, roll this. This is this is Chris reacting to the the one year mark for him. Go ahead. You're good. And that's a year. I wasn't even going to do the whole I promised myself I wouldn't cry shit because I knew I would. I... How about your boy, man? So Chris's reaction there as we wait from the shuffle back was uh, something I, I caught a little bit late. I had just missed it in real time. But the amount of people that were watching Chris's reaction to crossing that line was just astounding. And the people in the comments just exploding with messages of support for the guy really spoke to, I think, a lot of the experience for him along the way. And Chris, I'm just saying as he shuffles back now to us, like your the support you got in the chat. I missed it in real time, but I saw it that night shortly after. I mean, people were really kind of like by the minute chugging along, pumping yeah. you up. Take me through as you're going through that, that seeing what people are saying and just the experience of crossing that line, a year of sobriety with the journey you were on, the challenges you faced. What did that feel like for you? Let me just say, man, it, I never realized how weird this shit is until after it happens. Like when I was doing <laughs> when I was doing my stream, I'm just like, OK, it's cool because I'm talking to my phone. And then it's like, I mean, that guy's like blubbering right there on the like in front of like several hundred people. It's I don't know. It's it's several thousand. It, it's it's yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is weird when you watch it back in, in context. But I am my best and worst quality. I'm nothing if not authentic. Um, It was very flattering. Um, You know, I, I, and I put this in my one year blog. One of the hardest lessons to learn is that you're not you're not the victim in recovery. Right. And, uh, you know, you're responsible for causing a lot of destruction at the same time. Uh, I'd be lying if I told you this wasn't a really difficult year um, because and I watched a video about this recently. It was actually Steve-O from from Jackass who talked about this, where he said there's this assumption that when you stop uh, drinking that like it's you know, there, there's there's this next step and you're kind of fixed. No, that just when you were drinking, it just masked the disease. Now the disease is out and you got to figure out ways to solve problems and communicate with people in ways that you hadn't been able to do uh, for a long time. Um, there is. Again, it's so much of it is unintentional, but there is a connection that I know that I've made with a lot of people, especially a lot of people around here in Michigan. It's undeniable. Um, I think, again, it, it, on accident. This started as like, OK, I'm just going to make some videos about the Tigers. And these videos became and I think it's the advantage of having a team that plays 162 games a year is, uh, no, I don't take a lot of days off. So you're going to see me when I'm happy. You're going to see me when I'm sad, depressed, pissed, what have you. Um, I 
especially around I don't know, maybe like the six month mark really started to be like, dude, let's really push this now. Like, let's let's get there. Don't like don't even think about relapse and commit yourself to this uh, because time will heal this time will better, better it. And yeah, I mean, the reaction, it, it it's overwhelming every time because I was talking to a friend of mine who said, like, are you prepared uh, for the response you're going to get to hit in a year? And I always say, I, I'm never prepared. I never know because I never know when the next blog is going to be the one where people turn on me. The next video is going to be the one where people stop watching. So, you know, I, I, I just never know. But it, yeah, I mean, it was, it was very emotional um, because it wasn't just that moment. It was what built up to that moment. Like, it, you know, I've, I, there was a lot of things that I repaired and a lot of things I still need to repair. Like there was, there was a bittersweet element to that to a certain extent, but uh, yeah, to see, uh, you know, I, I try to connect with my audience when I can, I've worn my heart on my sleeve ever since you've known me and well before that um, it was emotional. Yeah. It, it always will be. I mean, just as I, I wish I had seen it in real time, but I saw it, you know, sh- shortly after the feedback you were getting from the audience was just outstanding. I was so proud of, of you and happy for you to see that your, your blog, you know, is sort of the bookend to the original one. You know, you say, yeah. I'm going to rehab, I'm, I'm going to go work on myself and you go through all that stuff and you, you hit the year mark, you get it through the post is up there. I wanted to look at some elements of this and kind of wind it into your experience. Cause I want to dig deeper into it. I was fascinated by your journey and how you laid it out here in the blog. Okay. A little bit too long to cover the whole thing. We could do a six hour episode, but there were certain parts that stood out. Ben, can you do the first one for us where you're talking about the person that doesn't exist anymore? You said, it's difficult to go back and read what I posted one year ago. A different version of myself wrote that. That person does not exist anymore, and I'm glad he doesn't. What was the old version and what's the new version? What was that person that is no longer here? Well, yeah, I mean, that's obviously a pretty dramatic statement, right? I, um... I think the person I am right now is somebody that's always existed, but doesn't always come out. I mean, I think I'm better at making decisions than I was, but really what it is, man, the person I am now is the guy who like doesn't have any intention of doing self-destructive shit anymore. Like in, in, I mean, it's, I've, I've had mental health issues basically my entire life, but really people who just drink in severe excess or do drugs, it's like long form suicide. It's just like, it's an opportunity. Like I'm going to do this to cover up my flaws and how much I don't like myself until I get, you know, taken out. And it's weird that you kind of have these visions of not wanting to be here. And then when you see that kind of moment where it's like, this could take a really dark turn, all you want to do is get better. And that's kind of ultimately what happened. So, I mean, that different version, I mean, I, uh, yeah, I mean, what going back and reading the blog I wrote when I went to rehab, I mean, it was, you know, uh, it was out there. It was open. It was a vulnerable, probably to a fault. It was very revealing and sad. Um, and it was manic. I think that that there is a getting sober is the ultimate stabilizer. Like it's, it's the, the ability to, instead of when you're drinking, it's okay. I'm going to do this thing right now because I just thought of it when you're not drinking. It's okay. I might do this thing, but I'm going to think about it first and then make, make a decision. Um, I think that when you look at like, the, the content stuff has been tough, but like my work performance, the blogs I put out, like I'm a better version of myself than I was a year ago, which excites me because I know that next year I'll be a better version of, of what I am uh, now. But yeah, I it was I just know that very, very self-destructive part of me, uh, which existed when I when I got help. Um, it's always a piece of you, but it's not something that defines me anymore. 
the thing that I find fascinating is, you know, you said in so many words in the blog and you've said in other spaces as well, it was effectively the worst year of your life, not this past year of sobriety, but the year prior. So basically the yeah. year prior to your year getting sober, right? Mm -hmm. You said it was one of the worst years of your life. Yeah. Right. That being on the heels of achieving what you did right. and, and getting that dream job is what I think a lot of people find fascinating where, you know, you see people like, uh, you know, Chris Cornell, who obviously took his own life, the ultimate manifestation yeah. of tragedy, where he has everything, you know, you would think you would ever want. You got the dream job. You had, you know, you were doing really well yeah. and you were the happiest story. You know, I, I was hugging you and cheering for you. And to have such such a challenge and frustration and self-consciousness right on the heels of what should be the happiest time in your life, that's where someone who doesn't have, you know, a mental health issue or issues with depression might not see. Yeah. Have you reconciled that in your own head? Like why uh, those two came together like that? It's the hardest part of this is looking back on it and being like, dude, why the fuck weren't you happy? Like, and, and. It's self-destruction, it's self-sabotage, and it's something that still keeps me up at nights. It's something that still bothers me every day. It's like, you had a good fucking thing going, man. Like, you you were the guy at Barstool that people like, dude, I, I don't know a whole lot about, but, like, I like Castellani. That guy's good. Like, the people at the company cared about me. Like, I had good relationships with people. And it's like, you dumb fuck. Like, you fuck, you blew this up into fucking smithereens. And now you've spent the last year, like, trying to, trying to repair it. Um... I wish there was a definitive answer. I, I, I think, look, as much as I love and appreciate the audience I have and always will, it's the internet. I mean, that stuff is fleeting, you know? I mean, sometimes what's more important is getting one person to care about you as opposed to getting the whole world to care about you, you know? Um, I, I have not always been the easiest person to be friends with. I think that there's people at Parstool that would attest to that. Um, and, and I don't, and I hate that. I hate that. Like, I hate the fact that every few years there's some big mental health crisis that I got to put my family through, put my friends through. Like I, you know, I, I wish I wasn't like this sometimes, but it, it sucks that I couldn't have enjoyed that period more. And I want to, I want to say straight up as well, cause you know, you were asking about it. None of, and I've, I, there's so many fucking dumb theories out there as well. that I want to, you know, put to rest. None of that has to do with my job or the people at Barstool. None of them. I never had any enablers there. None of them ever treated me poorly. In fact, some of them saw me at a very bad time in my life and still showed me a lot of love and a lot of grace. Like there's was I would have been even more unhappy if I didn't have this gig where it came from was I felt like, man, you have all these people treating you well. You have all these people being kind to you. You have all these people that are showing you love and telling you how great you are. And in my head, I'm like, I don't deserve any of this shit. Like I was, you know, I was fucking dropped out of college. Like I got this job on a fucking stroke of luck. Because Spencer Turnbull threw a no-hitter. If there's one thing I'm proud of about the last year, it's baby steps. I have finally graduated to the point of acknowledging that I'm talented. Because I couldn't even do that for the longest time. For the longest time, I'm just like, I'm not. I still don't like. The adoration is still weird to me. Like, I, I think I'm like, I'm all right. But like, I, I, I find, I still find it hard when people are like, I, you know. I, I hate when people say like inspiration, like I don't like that. Like, and again, it comes from a kind place. Like you're going to thank them and you're going to, you know, you're going to move on from it. But like that part of it is still really difficult for me um, to, to, to hear that. Uh, Cause I, I mean, I feel like I fucked up a lot of shit. I still do. Um, you know, and I, uh, I think that's one of the biggest reasons very often why people do relapse is because you, you drink to cover up hard feelings. That's, that's what it is. It's, you feel 
you feel heartbreak, you feel sadness, you feel depression. Okay, well, I want this feeling to go away. It doesn't go away, but you mask it by drinking. When those thoughts come back up, your impulse for years is I need a drink. Well, that's not there anymore. So it's like how, and, and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I've dealt with my issues more diplomatically because I was always under the assumption like, well, if I keep going to therapy, like all the drinking stuff will subside. It's like, no, like when, when you're in it, you're in it and it's only going to get worse. And um, there's still, yeah, I mean, there's still, still a lot of frustrating nights and people have seen it. You know, I wrote about it in the blog. People have seen it in my content and shit. Like, you know, there's been a lot of bad days. There's been a lot of frustrated days. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I haven't done myself any favors, um, at points, uh, but you know, and there are those nights where like you do miss it, but it's the, I find, I've finally learned it takes time that like that alcoholic cycle of like, yeah, like last night, right. I was in Detroit with buddy of mine for the wings game and I was staying at a hotel in Detroit, so I'm not driving or anything. And that was a night where I'm like, man, this one night probably would have been better if I could have gotten drunk again. The problem is it would have led to 20 nights in a row of me feeling like shit because I was drinking. It's just not worth it, dude. It's just not worth it. So I don't even have, and it's getting, you know, who knows what tomorrow will hold. I don't really even have that temptation right now. Like I just, because I feel the relationships I have and the person I am now and how hard I'm working uh, is that's such a better place to be in than where I was. So you use the phrase self-sabotage. Yeah. I mean, is there an element there where it's just imposter syndrome and I don't deserve this? I'm not worthy of this incredible opportunity that yeah. you know Spencer Turnbull gave me the assist on. Yeah. Like, is it is it really boiled down to that? Where if you have more self-confidence in that moment going through that period where you think, okay, I'm good, maybe I got a break, but who doesn't get a break really, especially in that field? It's so tough to break through. Yeah. It just seems like you were a victim of imposter syndrome. Totally. And you, you took yourself down to make sure you didn't get to test the theory whether or not you deserve it. Right. And I'm a people pleaser. So like I, I, I struggle. People say I can't take criticism. No, if you work at Barstool, you have to take criticism. Okay. Like the, the best day at Barstool, you're going to get more criticism than 99% of days anywhere else. Like it's just, that's just the lay of the land. So it's like, I, I think I've developed a much thicker skin. I think everybody that works there does. I don't think there's anybody that works at Barstool who doesn't have a thick skin. You, you, you have, you, it, you just, you adapt to it. Um, but yeah, no, I would say that was a part of it was that imposter syndrome, especially when it's a company that you follow. Like I was in college, you know, just playing video games with my roommates. We were watching Barstool videos and it's it very I've, I've made this analogy before. It's like you grow up watching a TV show and then you become a character on that TV show. Like it is startling when you're in a like Big Cat. I know you from the Internet. <laughs> like, Dave, I've seen you like there were times when I t asked my college roommates like, hey. Um, like, you know, I, what, how crazy would it be to meet Portnoy? And it's like a few years later, it's like you're meeting him and there was, and I want to just, I, I've never said this publicly, but, uh, I want to just compliment Dave about one thing. And I haven't talked to Dave in a while. Uh, maybe, maybe his opinion has changed, but the day I went to, uh, rehab and it speaks to what I talked about a minute ago of him talking to people differently. He sent me a tweet saying, Hey, I just read your, um, your blog. You fit right in here with the misfits. And it was like, that was, uh, and he might hate me telling that, <laughs> that side of him, but that was a very interesting insight into his mentality. And that was extremely in the moment, you know, so much has changed in the last year, but in the moment was remarkably comforting to be like, okay, you just need to get right now, but you're on the right track. Like, you know, and, and the rest is history, I guess. He sent you a, like a DM. 
We have a, I have his number. Yeah. 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 yeah oh, you did. said he sent you a tweet. I just didn't know. Oh, did that. I say tweet? I'm yeah, sorry. I it was, I'm sorry. It was, a, it was a text message. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, no, no, it's fine. I just wanted yeah. to make sure. So that wasn't public, right? No, it, no, it was <laughs> yeah. not. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So you're, you know, you've talked about sort of airing things out publicly and, you know, this is another portion of the statement that you had, you know, included in your blog. I wanted to address, yeah. Ben, if you can throw that up, like just the, the level of it is so difficult for most people to understand. You said, I thought I ruined my life. I had all I ever hoped for and I destroyed it. I flamed out and embarrassed myself publicly. I felt like I had lost everything I worked for. That's that's the part to me that was the saddest, you know, sort of reading the blog and this is after your sobriety and you had achieved it for yeah. a year, but just in the retrospective of going back there where it's so hard to get that opportunity that you did yeah. and to lose it is one thing or perceive that you may be losing it. But to do this sort of in the public eye is so much more accelerated. Was there an is there an added challenge there where not only are you going through this, but you're having people make you were in rehab for five minutes jokes and this whole thing yeah. is for show. Like, did it bother you how the public addressed it? Because they were not nice in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I'm probably setting myself up for more trolling by saying that. But um, I'd never been through this process before. I'm never going to go through this process again. Hey, this was something that was done in secret. No, I wasn't fucking forced to go. No, I didn't get in trouble or put my hands on anybody or get arrested. I mean, I've literally read all these fucking dumb theories. Right? Um, I got there. You know, did I plan things out? No. I mean, it's an alcoholic. Like, you're an impulsive fuck. Like, you just, you know, you, you do shit and then you arrived. And then, you know, they take your phone and you're, you know, you have your clothes with you. Um, and I got there with somebody who'd been there before. And he's like, look, man, you're going to be here for 12 days. And I just trusted that. Um, it, it has made things more difficult. And, and look, hey, you know what? Hand up, man. I was public with it. If you're going to be public with the praise, you're got, th that means you're going to have public criticism. I totally understand it. I guess the, what, what hurts me is the idea that it's somehow like offensive to other addicts or people who've been through this or that I'm downplaying it. Like, I can't express how fucking hard this is and one of the and how hard it's been and how hard it is for other people, especially people who have relapsed and been back there. I mean, I was in rehab with people who'd been there 13 times. We'd been to that same facility 13 times. And it's when I left, there's a bittersweet feeling when you leave because everyone, everyone that when they leave rehab is all gung ho. Yeah. All right. Like, I'm, I've got to go see my family. And it's the sad truth. And it's not a reflection on these people. It's just numbers. Most of those people probably relapsed. And, and that's, that's tough to think about. And I just reached that point where I'm like, I'm not going to be part of that statistic. I can't be. And, and right now, right now I'm not, but I was, um, I've, I've, if it was just people on Twitter, I would say whatever. Um, I think that my stay being what it was, um, has impacted the way some people I care about feel about me. That's very frustrating. Um, no, not nobody like you or family or anything like that. Like they're all supportive and wonderful, but, um, that, that part stinks because when I was in rehab, all I was thinking about was like the best thing for me right now is to fucking get back to work and do the thing that makes me happy and get back to my job. Like those are the people that I miss. That's the environment that I miss. Um, yeah, I mean, I might've moved too fast, but then I say that, but I'm a year in like, I don't like the, to me, like what's so weird about that criticism is that your validation would be if I relapsed, like I'm not going to fucking do that. Like I, I know myself pretty darn well, better than I know anybody else. And, um, I would never commit to something. Um, if I felt like 
it, it I wasn't 100% committed. I think that's reflected in my content and what I, how I go about life, the way I treat people. Um, now I, I, and I just, I want to reiterate, I mean, so much of it has been so wonderful and positive and, you know, you played the clip and the, you know, the chat was going crazy. Like I want to, I want to make sure that that's known that it's, you know, but it, um, yeah, there was, it felt like when I got out, the, the reception was, was a bit more negative than, than I expected, but in a way kind of made me stronger. Cause I'm like, you have to commit to it now. Cause if you break, then it validates those opinions. Right. If you break, then it's like, oh, you see, I told you I didn't take it seriously. Like, no, you better fucking take it seriously now. Um, yeah. Do you see the value, though? Because when I see the the replies, we talked about some of the bad ones. Yeah. There were so many good ones, man. Yeah. Like people saying, oh, yeah. Hey, like, I, I'm two months in. Like you saw. I, and the thing is, saying. man, one thing I've realized, and I'm not going to name any names specifically, but in the last few months, the amount of people who reached out being like you people don't know this but i'm six months and six months into recovery i'm two months in or like i watched i read your blog and i decided to get sober it's like fuck. i saw those too but you hate that oh you're an inspiration thing which i know is a different context yeah. that was a career context i i get that you're bashful about that and you know when i cover your face like when you know someone on barstool show said you were cute or whatever it was oh yeah like the i i get that i respect that that's your natural inclination but taking a step back and trying to cringe through it if you if you have to doesn't it mean something to you that you're reading these replies where i mean i you talk about the private ones i'm talking about the stuff i saw just people publicly yeah. posting with their own name i you know i'm two months in you you made me feel like i want to keep going yeah. you convinced me to get sober i was just scrolling through a couple dozen of these just f scrolling through that i saw i mean do you not see the value in you being so public about this even though there are the regrettable downsides yeah. it has value in doing it how you're doing it absolutely hundred percent. And I, I put that in the blog as well as like, I just, I struggle with finding purpose sometimes. Uh, and, and it would be like that. And I've had people say like, well, why don't you find another position? It's, it's not the job. I, if I was fucking bagging groceries, if I was the CEO of a company, I'd feel the same way. I'm just, I'm just wired that way. But I, and I said in the blog, it's like, I don't want the most important thing I do to be just talking about Tiger baseball because I can do it. That's easy to me. I can do that. I mean, we, we, we did it here. I'll, I'll do it later tonight. Like that's the easy part. It's like, I want there to be something greater. I want it to be so that when the Tigers, if the Tigers are ever good again, people are excited for that journey, that process, and happy for the fan base and, and, and the fan base that I'm lucky enough to, uh, to represent. Um, I, yeah, it was because you, you reach a point, especially with Barstool, where it's like, don't, don't read too much into it. But then there's those days, like the one-year blog, where it's like, I'm going to give myself the opportunity to read into this. Because what people are saying is so, you know, it, when you go through all of this and there's so many things that people don't know. And look, when you're, you know, when you, when I was really spiraling, I mean, the amount of dumb shit is just fucking ridiculous, but you struggle with how you feel about yourself and you feel like, you know, you, like I've literally said to myself, like, I'm a bad person because I've put people I care about through really difficult times, whether it's coworkers, friends, family, what have you reading that stuff and seeing that kind of love. it makes you seem like you're you are good you just went through a really hard time and uh there's there's a tremendous pride that comes with it and and, and it's it's great the connections that i've been able to make you know I, I brought up the the private messages but like i just think um i still believe that many of the issues that i struggle with and obviously i'm not you know i'm just one guy there's still such a stigma behind it behind addiction behind 
depression, behind mental health uh, issues. It's so weird because, dude, how many people every day do you hear about like, oh, yeah, that guy was he was an alcoholic. They had a drug issue, but in still like this weird taboo thing. Um, and, and the fact that I can op- like my dream, honestly, at Barstool, if given the opportunity, I want to do like some sort of like mental health advice calling show where like because it's just I love the idea of having that open discourse. That's why I am so open about it. It's like, well, I think that shame only leads to more shame when you're told just keep it on the down low. Like, so that's just kind of that's the way I roll, I guess. Do you, do you run it back the same way? Once you make the decision a year and some change, you go, okay, I'm going to rehab. Obviously, you have to tell your bosses. Yeah, yeah. Like, would you do it the same way? Do you still write the blog? Do you still sort of open air this for everyone in the sea? Is there something you would do differently? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would have taken some things out of the blog. <laughs> but you, you'd still write the blog, though. I would have put out something. Okay. Statement, video, uh, just something. Because I felt such... I felt such regret about the fact that it was happening at all because I had so many people who were treating me so well and I felt like I'd let them down. And I still feel that way sometimes that I was I was letting people down. So I would have put out some sort of apology thing being like, look, this is what I'm going through. Um, the reason I was so open was, I mean, I was in a very manic state. And two, I felt like I'm going to be so open now so that I can be every bit as open when I succeed. That juxtaposition will be, you know, I think I even tweeted out, it's going to be a hell of a story. And that story is still being written. I mean, it's weird. One year is just a date on a calendar. Like there's there's so many more that I woke up the next day. And it's like, all right, now we're one year, one day. Like there's a lot more steps that still need to um, that still need to be taken. Yeah, there's. Oh, yeah, there's things I would have done differently. Yeah. I mean, I would say in the. I want to be very vague here. There was about a month where I was considering, OK, I think I need to do something about this. And in probably the last two weeks before. I got help. It was like, it was when it was really spiraling. And uh, it's that part of that version of myself that like you look back on that and you're like, dude, what the fuck? And again, like I want to read, it's not like people try to find it. I didn't fucking put my hands on anybody. I didn't get arrested for shit. Like it's just people see a side of you that you wish wasn't seen. And that's permanent now. Like those memories can't be erased. So yeah, there's things I don't do. At the same time, I'm don't, I, like, I feel shame about it, but I'm not even like, I can't even beat myself up too much because that's literally the experience of every alcoholic. Every alcoholic has that those, those things where it's like, oh yeah, my and usually, honestly, there, if there was anything that brought me comfort when I was in rehab, it's listening to those stories and knowing like I decided to get help before everything got fucked up. You know, I mean, it was so, and I, I just my heart just broke for these people listening to them, and I, you know, I want to be vague with it because you know, I it is you know meant to be you know kind of a safe place, but like people whose relationships with kids got fucked up and, you know, people who got into car accidents. It's like, I, my fear was if this keeps going, I'm going to be that. And so I don't regret making the decision. I sure as hell don't regret going. Yeah. There, there's, there's a lot of things I would have changed that I think have had kind of some, some long-term implications, but, um, the journey as a whole, like if you would have told me on that day on December 6th, 2022, I'm going to be here one year, nine months later, I'd be like, okay, I'll take that. Yeah, I can accept that. I'm still at Barstool. Um, you know, I still have a lot of positive relationships with people. I can accept that. I can live with that. So like navigating going forward, and this was a big theme in your blog as you discussed it and you're laying out sort of, it almost read in part, which is partly why people love you so much. It almost read like a, a journal entry, like kind of <laughs> yes. self really. Yes, like, I've, I've received that criticism before. <laughs> well, yes. I don't know that it's a criticism. It's just an observation. Yeah. I, to me, it's not a criticism 
But I'm reading parts of this and I'm thinking like you're kind of talking yourself through it, yeah. like kind of in a dear diary tone. Yeah. And some parts were more kind of blog article-ish yeah. and the other parts weren't. But Ben, throw up a, like one part that there were, I think we grabbed two, but one part that kind of rang true. It seems like you're working through this yourself. You say, yeah. I have no idea what the future has in store. I want to be at Barstool. If I left now, I'd feel like I failed. I fell in love with this company because of the people. And I'd be lying if I told you there weren't days when it didn't even feel like I worked here anymore. Yeah. That seems like a diary entry where, you know, you're you're trying to figure this out for yourself, where it doesn't feel like I work here anymore. Something obviously changed because of what you went through. Yeah. Like what do you feel like alienated there? Like what what's well, going on with you at Barstool? Two things real quick. This this whole idea of it kind of being like a diary entry, the first um, I started writing this and had probably a written version of that blog at the eight month mark. And every day for four months, I made edits to it to a point where by the end, the only thing that remained was the first sentence and the last sentence. Everything else in between changed. It got shorter. It got longer because over your, your mindset from the eight month mark is completely different to where your mindset is after at the one year mark. There's more of a sense of accomplishment. There's more baggage that you have to deal with. As far as uh, how I feel, look, no one has ever done anything at Barstool where I'm like, I don't, I feel like I don't belong here. I feel, but I, I feel horrible about my situation. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. I, again, probably more self-sabotage, right? But I, um, I don't I I guess I'll just just leave it at that. But I feel like I working at Barstool is a very cool thing. And I feel like I went through a very uncool thing. And like I said, Dave was supportive and a lot of people were supportive. But, um, you know, you do dumb shit when you're drunk. Right. And so it's it's I I regret that so much of this happened. I, I really do. Um, And I feel like. You know, and, and I like I said, I, I want to be there. I really do enjoy the people there. Um, and I I think there's absolutely a place, but um, you know, I, I'm just I'm just trying to. And, and the problem is, it, it hasn't been helped by like you know, the amount of theories. Oh, this guy hates Chris. This guy, dude, it's not none of none of that shit exists there. Like people there are cordial and nice, and Dave's a good boss, and Erica's a great CEO. Like it's none of that shit. It's just uh, it's personal embarrassment. And I, I, one part that was left out there is like that I said, like, I wouldn't know how to handle me either with this. Like, Barstool is a place where we bust balls. We give each other shit. That's part. I mean, you saw it when you played the Mincy clip. And it's like, there's this guy here who's like, you know, if I, if I give him shit, like, is that powder keg going to explode? Like, is he going to, is he going to fall off? Like, I, I hate that, like, kind of eggshell walking um, because it's unfair. It's unfair to the people of the company. It, it, and so that, that part of it, Really bothers me. And over time, like I said, I feel different now than I did at the eight month mark. But I um, over time, I hope that that changes because I, I there was a, a time here where I was like, I felt like I was really fitting in. I believe that I can get back to that because I like right now. I mean, it's not uh, in the one thing I'll say and a lot of people, you know, because people pay attention to the grand stuff. Are you may have do you have podcasts that make a ton of money, stuff like that. But like the fact is we're a sports blog and. One another thing I wrote in the blog is it is amazing what it does to your brain when you kick a habit, because the amount of doors of creativity that open, it's staggering. The first two years I worked here, I wasn't grifting like I did things for the company that were seen. But like, I think I wrote 300 something blogs in the last six months. I've written 528 like it's it's there is you kick it into high gear. So I like I will defend my work ethic and my performance. Um, But I want. 
as I said, like if I left now, I feel like people said, oh, you remember the Castellani guy? It would just be like, oh, yeah, he went to rehab. He's that guy. Like he wasn't terrible. He seemed like kind of a nice guy. I can't like I can't live with that. Like I need it to be I need it to be something more like I'm not I'm not going to go through that here. And that's why I'm going to continue to work. And um, but at the same time you can't control the future. You know, you know, there's no, there's no magic wand or, or, or crystal ball. that's going to say where you're going to be in, in six months. And that's why I did take time in that blog to say like, this has been an unbelievable honor to be around these people. I know absolutely without a shadow of a doubt that I am in a better place than I was a year ago, probably a better place than I've ever been. I think I can be a, a fantastic, uh, part of the company, but I also understand the circumstances. Well, yeah, you're in a unique situation because you don't owe owe it all to the company. And I know you might want to be deferential, but you had a really big audience before they found you. It is. Yeah, I was. I mean, with I, no advantages. Yeah. The team sucked. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah. Well, that was the appeal to Dave is Dave likes diehard fans who root for shitty teams because Dave has admitted the rise of Barstool coincided and was aided by the fact that the fucking Patriots, Red Sox, Celtics, Bruins, all these Boston teams were amazing. I mean, you know, the Patriots dynasty, the Red Sox, you know, all, everything they did winning four championships. Like he finds it charming when there's somebody who will watch 162 games of a team that has a 0% chance of making the playoffs. Like he's always like that. Um, yeah, but you're right. I don't, and I've never done a deep dive into every employee. I think on, so on Twitter, at least I had about 20,000 followers when Dave hired me. That's, I think one of the, if we're not including like guys that already had media personalities like Taylor Lewan and those guys. Like if we're talking just kind of salt of the earth hires like me and Mincy, I think that's probably one of the bigger like already built in audiences of anyone that he'd, he'd hired. That's a large audience for a guy that's covering one topic. Yeah. It's a topic that sucks. Like cause, just because, <laughs> right. well, I mean, I'm the, I'm the biggest tires fan maybe other than you, but it, it's not a sexy team. The no, team it, the se- seasons are over in May. You, you, like, you yeah. would have been so hot like in the like 2006 to 15 or 14. I mean, imagine your account then. And and honestly, I've seen it this year um, and really this year with the Lions and with the Michigan football stuff. It's like I I'm I'm legitimately happy with the Lions content. I'm happy with those post games. I think connected with the audience there. But yeah, you see it. I mean, and I get frustrated. I've we brought up Michigan basketball. It's like it really I think those videos are good. And I think the Michigan basketball stuff I put out is good. But dude, if it's not a final four run, like it is like I will game 84 for the Tigers will put up better numbers than like an NSA tournament game, you know, yeah, especially I, if Baez does something stupid. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. There's like this again. It's like a TV show. There's like weird, like built in characters and quirks that people keep coming back. Like I, I get so many tweets about hobby bias and I have so many like, and I, I love it. I love people come up to me. They ask me about hobby. And it's one of those things that I don't go into my videos with an agenda to be like, I, I need to cover hobby for X amount of time every night. But there just was a period like it was near the end of last season. Where I'm like, I really do talk about this guy a lot, don't I? So the point where we kind of made him a meme. Um, but I, that's the fun of it to me is that like the recurring stuff. I, Barstool's perfect at that. The running bits, current characters, different messages. You know, uh, that that I love connecting with my audience in that way. I'm going to tell you, I'll make a story about me very brief and relate it to you. And I want I want you to tell me if I'm crazy. OK. I was an intern in Washington, D.C. in 2009. I was still an undergraduate student at Michigan State. Mm-hmm. The intern team was, it was for Carl Levin, rest in peace, Senator Levin. Uh, it was 13 or 14 people. I was one of them. And the interns tend to be pretty close. They're, you know, they're hanging out. Most of us were 21. We're going out after work or whatever. We were a pretty tight-knit group. 
There was one person in the group that was going through a weird thing. No one knew what was going on, emotional breakdowns, kind of like stepping out of meetings yeah. in tears. No one knew what the hell was going on. Turned out later we found out that the uh, his father was going through uh, cancer treatment. Actually ended up in remission and last I heard was still doing well. Yeah. But uh, was going through, but no one knew that at the time. Going through weird emotional stuff. And, and we had to fill in work for him where he was supposed to yeah. work. And he had a couple lash out, nothing like taking swings at people, but this guy had a couple kind of like, leave me alone, kind of Ryan Leaf in yeah, the locker room yeah. towards us. So it later comes to light what it was. He apologized, came forward, cried, you know, met with the interns. It was one on 12 or one on 13 and owned it. And we all felt horrible and we all said all the right things. But I kind of avoided him the rest of the summer and so did everybody else because I, I was polite. I, I, a couple of times I was like, Hey, how you doing? It's hard to handle it. You, I was, I didn't, I didn't want to say the wrong thing. It's not because right. I didn't care or, Oh, F that guy. Or cause I was mad at him. I was like, man, this is a guy that's lashed not at me, but it lashed out at two of the other interns for no reason, you know, had emotional episodes constantly. And I tried to be a good person and, you know, say nice things to him, but we were all kind of nervous to be around yeah, the guy. Yeah. I, the bar still, whatever alienation you may feel there, it's like, is that part of it where it's just, they don't know what to say. Yeah, well, but I there's been a few, and I'm not gonna like a, a lot of it's public, but I don't want to. Yeah. Rip, but basically, the last two times that I was in at HQ in New York was the first time that I'd been there sober, and so you can't relax by just tossing back a few high noons or you know a few shots that you had at the that you bought at the liquor store, you know, a few a uh, few few hours before, and I was noticeably antsy. And no, walking around and moving around and being, you know, nervous energy, Chris. Um, and, and I don't think it bothered some people. But I just think it was a noticeable thing. And um, if I was back there now, I th I'd be I'd be fine, you know, but I, I get that. I don't there's no agenda against me. Like there's no the people there are nice. I love the company. I love the people that I love the bosses. But yeah, I've I've put myself in a situation that is wholly unique from anybody else at Barstool. There are people at Barstool that are sober. Uh, Jersey Jerry, famously, he's eight years. Uh, he had, a, uh, I believe, a crack problem. He's eight years sober now with a, with a kid. Like, he's very happy. He's living in Chicago. But he got clean before right. Barstool. There's nobody at the company that I know if there could be somebody that just wasn't as public about it as me who decided I'm going to go through this in a public manner. Um, and, you know, look, hey, again, that was my decision. But um, in the... <sighs> Really, it was about eight months uh, after I got out where I was just not even close to myself. Like, just leaving the house is fucking tough. I mean, I would go to the gym, like, and, and run, or I'd go outside and run. But besides that, it's like, I didn't feel comfortable in every, any environment. And it wasn't because I was afraid, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relapse in front of these people. In fact, like, that's not the concern. In fact, I, I actually find that funny where, like, I'll be at a bar with a friend and be like, are you, are you good here? And it's like, I'm not going to. It would be so fucking awkward if I just jumped across the table and stole your beer. I asked you that, though, when we were just talking on the phone. I was like, hey, is it would it be weird if we're out? It's and that stuff. It, no, it's it's yeah. not. It's it's situations where I feel like I could just be better, whether it's personally, professionally. Um, but when I'm a, when you're in that situation, it's it'd be too obvious. It's too obvious to be like, I'm going to relapse here. You know, so it's I don't know. It's I, I've everything about me is unconventional. I go oh, go about things in an unconventional way. But yeah, I mean, I think. um I just I think it's a wholly unique situation. And I think I give Dave and Erica and and the people there a lot of credit. I mean, there's a few and we've we've talked about them, uh, you know, in private that were like very, very kind and out of their way to show kindness towards me. And um, 
Uh, and it made, I wrote it in the blog again, like you're kind of an asshole for a while. You're just, cause you're just pissed. You're like you, I was just fucking frustrated. Like you dumb fuck. Like you, you took this frustration out on other people. Like I, uh, okay. I, I, I don't know. I'm probably going too deep, but fuck it. I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. Um, like I was, I wrote a blog criticizing the movie theater experience <laughs> and not thinking at the time this is a bad idea and it's going to piss off the people who you used to do a movie theater or movie podcast with but when you're in that state and you're just so fucking upset and anxious and you just you feel like a volcano that needs to explode then you explode and you don't think about the repercussions um because back in the day honestly what i would have done is like i want to write this let me take a few shots okay i'm not going to write this now because I'm just too distracted or I'm too drunk or what, like you, that filter's gone. Um, and so you have to develop, develop another one. And, um, so like there's been instances, I, I, again, written in the blog where I, there's probably been 15 times in the last year where I just said to myself, what the fuck were you thinking? Um, because that you're, you're finding a different version of yourself. You're developing a different brain than what's been developed in the past. And in right now, I'm so much better at making decisions, but it sucks that you can't undo past mistakes like I've, I've probably been a a greater i'm not gonna say greater I'm, the self-destruction has been greater but a lot of ways like some of my worst moments have come in recovery because it's like you just don't have that shield you don't have that thing to ball, fall back on you got to face those hard feelings head on you can't avoid them you can't mask them you can't run from them and uh that leads to some difficult decisions the the show you're referring to it's, it's lights camera, lights, camera barstool. Barstool, yeah. my perception which comes solely from reading what the comments say so this could be this could be way off was like you're you were negative about movies when you were on the show yeah. and they were starting to like not cut you but like phase you out a little bit it or was, not have and, you on and, as you know much. there's been a lot of theories i want to just i've said it before but yeah i was not kicked off the show it was a mutual understanding that had come to the show was going in a different direction there was no fight I have a ton of respect for those guys. I, I loved recording with them. I really did. I do. I'm I the Jeff is in charge of the trivia stuff. Like there's no ill will towards any of those guys at all. I understood the decision. The sh and I've said it before. The show is better as a product without me on it. And it sucks to come to terms with that. Like I liked recording it. But as a whole, they wanted they did a their mindset was different. And that's like there is such thing as professional creative differences. Um, but and I, again, it's just that impulsiveness. I didn't realize in the time that it would be taken as, oh, Chris is pissed. He got kicked off the show. Now he's writing this, this pissy, angry blog. It's like, no, nah, I felt that way for a while. I just probably should have articulated. It so I thought, uh, so it's a little bit of a chicken and egg there. I thought like the blog about movie theaters was the final, like he's out now. He's not doing that. Uh, I think that probably, and I haven't talked to him about it. Yeah. I, the chant, I think their original plan, yeah, not, I don't want to speak for anybody was, Every so often, if there's a movie that we see that we feel like Chris would be interested in, we'll bring him back on. I, I don't believe they have any plans of bringing him back on that show. People have asked me about it, much like any show on the network. I, like, I do fucking Kelly Keegs' Taylor Swift show. Like, if you want me to be on it, I'll do it. I'll, I, I would happily come on there and contribute and shoot the shit. Uh, I would never say no to those guys. They gave me a great opportunity. They're exceptionally talented. Um, and, and the show is running as smooth as ever uh without me on it but yeah i don't if and for the record there's no hard feelings because if i was in their position i'd do the same fucking thing like if if there was somebody on our baseball podcast who wrote a thousand word blog being like fuck baseball carl and i probably <laughs> wouldn't have him back on the show like you yeah. know so it's i it's totally understood it's something i regret because i still like those guys and i didn't mean for it to be a personal thing but i mean in the long run man like okay if the worst thing you do is write a fucking movie theater blog like i think you're 
I think you're probably okay. <laughs> you'd probably the head can probably hit the pillow at night, but yeah, it is what it is. I don't know. I'm more on your side. I I mean, I actually I love the movie theater experience. So not so much with that part, but with the state of movies now. Like you're I all agree with you too, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, ben Ben agrees with both of us. And this is I, we've talked about this, I think, even before you were hired at Barstool. Yeah. It's like movies suck now. Well, that's that's it's the not thing. your fault. There were two lines of criticism that I got when I was on that show. One of them I totally understood, which is he's just not that funny. He doesn't mix that well with the guys. He's incredibly pessimistic and he just doesn't vibe with the mood of the show. That's fine. I totally understand that criticism. But if the basis for your hate for me being on that show is he doesn't like my fucking Star Wars show, get fucked. Sorry, gross. Like, I, I, I'm not going to bow down to your opinions at, at, like, at, at all when it, when it comes to that. Um, but no, I, I, a lot of the under criticism I did understand because I would listen back to the show and it's like, man, Jeff had a really funny line or Gooch had a really funny line and I'm just kind of there being pessimistic about movies when you're doing a movie podcast. Yeah, that probably hurts the brand. Your your original blog, you know, where you, you make your declaration, you're, you're going off to get treatment. Yeah. They didn't have to publish that. Right. I mean, you, you run through editors and yes. whatnot. Yeah. I mean, was there, were they reticent? Were they embracing? Were they indifferent? What was their attitude yeah. to, we're going to let our employee sort of air this out about himself yeah. under the Barstool banner. Let me, let me, let me explain that. Cause I've gotten some negative feedback. So I, what I feel is undeserved negative feedback regarding the editors in chief of the blog and yeah. whether that blog was posted. That was, um, I'm not going to say who just for the sake of anonymity, there was somebody who was an important part of the company that I called about a week before I got checked in saying, Hey, I, I, I have this problem. I need to get help. He goes, and I just asked him, like, am I still gonna have a job? He's like, dude, don't worry about it. Like, I'll I'll talk to to Dave and Erica about it. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be fine. Um, and then that day, the day I got myself checked in, I said, Hey man, I got this blog. Like, I think I'm ready to to, you know, to unload it, like, and then I'm I'm off. And he said, Okay, I'll i I'll take care of it. Um, so it was not I didn't view it as irresponsible because, all, dude, all, I'm a fucking adult. I wrote the fucking thing. Like, it's like at, at the end of the day, it's my thing. But I never, I got some feedback from people being like, this was a sabotage thing. They posted this as like a joke, as a way of making fun. That I never viewed it that way. I think they viewed it the way that I viewed it at the time, which is it's me being vulnerable. It's hopefully something that in the long run will end up being a positive um thing for for myself and for the company uh but yeah it, and trust me there's been it, multiple instances uh in which blogs just simply don't get posted for whatever reason and we have very we have very nate and hubs are excellent at that we have very smart editors and chiefs of the blog if they felt like that was something that could harm the company harm my personal brand um that shouldn't be put under the barstool name they wouldn't have done it yeah. So, so I, I don't feel like it, I think there's been some kind of misconceptions about what happened there like that. I just threw it on there and, and they just like, uh, you know, er, threw all caution to the wind. Not necessarily the case. This was a a, a pretty pre premeditated thing. You're, you're wrapping the one year blog with a little bit of defiance, which I like. That's my kind of tone. Yeah. And, and I want to throw that up there. It's, it's what I what I like. This is probably my favorite part. Ben, if you can throw that up for us. You said to give up on me would be a huge mistake. I just went through the hardest year of my life and I'm all the better for it. I'm not a liability. I'm an asset. I could shock a whole lot of people if given the chance. Yeah. Why is it a mistake to give up on Chris Castellani? Because I, and I, I said, I am a bizarrely resilient guy. Like I, I, and you've seen it in the time in which I've, I've, you've known me. Um, 
And as I just said, I just graduated to the point of acknowledging that I'm talented. That's a sliver of confidence, which is something I've never had. And so it's like that. And I've, I'm finally at a point now where I hope I can graduate to, to this point where I, I don't give a fuck. Cause that's, I think where often the best people at the company thrive is just saying, I'm going to be committed to this. I'm going to throw a caution to the wind and I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be, uh, gung ho about this. Look, the fact is I, <laughs> even when I was spiraling out of control, I still put out some pretty good content. So imagine what I'll be when I'm clean and I'm on the straight and narrow and I'm in a better place. Um, what, you know, it is frustrating at points cause it doesn't, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day where it's like, I sometimes don't even feel like my life has started, you know, but yet I look back on the way the last year has gone, the way the last few years have gone. It's like, no, I've, I've fucking lived. I've, I've lived enough lifetimes. I've probably done too much living to be completely honest with you over the last several years. So no, it's, I, that, that line right there, which was added pretty late in the process, that's a declaration to myself being like, don't, cause dude, I can't tell you how many days, uh, even before Barstool, I'm like, I'm fucking done with this shit. Like I cannot, I don't want to put myself through this pain anymore. And there's clearly something every time where I'm just like, all right, give it, give it, give it till tomorrow. Let's, let's just hold this off till tomorrow. Um, that, that keeps me, uh, coming back. I think, uh, oh, I, I think everybody loves a good comeback, you know? So it's, I, I hope that, uh, I hope that we reach that point. And the thing is, I don't know when that moment of Zen, that moment of like, all right, I'm in the clear now will be. Maybe it never comes. Maybe it's just something that I look back on and I say, yeah, that was a huge moment. A year, obviously getting to that is massive step in the right direction. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if I'll find it. No. I mean, as one of your original fans, for sure. Uh, when there were only a, a couple, I think you were 2,000 followers when I followed you. No. I was very early. Uh, I, have, I have frustrations with what I don't see in your content through no fault of your own. You made your you know, you're following, built your following, you've, you've you know, earned your uh, footprint in this market and abroad on the microphone, you know, on yeah. videos, sure, but on the microphone, you're a mic guy. I like your blogs. Your blogs are good. Your blogs are voluminous. I'm not saying never write another blog, but like, I want to see more Chris Mike thing. And I, this is something I get a lot too, you know, people and a couple of my subscribers who I, you know, you're one of them. Thank you for that. Um, were DMing me, asking me to ask you about this specifically of like, when is the show coming back? I know that's out of your hands, yeah, you know, yeah. I, and I explained that to them, but were they talking the baseball show or you're, I'll um, say this. you're, you're all yeah, that, that, that's, that's long gone. Yeah. yeah. And I, I understand that, but I think like as a big fan of yours, I, and, you know, I'm taking the friend hat off and just the, the fan hat on. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to see more Mike you. And, I, and there's a lot of people out there that want to see more microphone Chris Castellani. I'm wondering, you know, if Barstool says to you, well, Chris, and I, I don't care when your contract ends. I don't know. And it's not my business or anyone else's. But let's say a year from now it ends. Yeah. And they say, Chris, you know, we'd love to have you back. Mm -hmm. You are Barstool. And you say to them, hey, you know, I want to do a little more. Can I do a little more? Just stick to the blogs. Are you? cool with that because you're you're kind of cutting yourself off right i'm gonna plead the fifth on that because, you're gonna plead the fifth yeah be on, on because truthfully i people could say it's a cop-out but dude the last year has been such a roller coaster and my mindset has changed so many different times that i can't the answer i i would give you now could be completely different than the answer i i would give you uh, i would give them a year from now two months from now three months from now uh i i stand by what i said in the blog i want to be there um, you know, and it's not look for the record, I'm not completely, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, we're doing, we've done the baseball show, you know, we've, uh, you know, I, I, 
the trivia stuff is huge. Like it is. And I've, I've been a part of that. Um, yeah, ob- look, I, I would obviously love to be uh, more involved. And, and when I first started, really, I totally understood like, like there's a hierarchy. You got to work your way up. Went through a fucking pretty difficult time. Didn't make things easy on myself. Didn't make things easy on the company. Now I feel like, okay, yeah. Like I think um, as I put in the blog, like I can, you know, the, the, I can shock people because I think kind of what got me here was that I shocked people. It's like this guy is doing these fucking videos in his parents' basement, but like he kind of knows a lot about baseball and then it just kind of grew and grew. So um, ultimately, look, I, I'm there's comfort in the fact that if like Dave's blind eye test hit rate with talent is kind of ridiculous. Like he's he has a very high batting average of that stuff. If he didn't feel like there was something in me that could make the company better, they wouldn't have hired me. And despite everything I've gone through, I still maintain that vibe, that belief. And, uh, you know, I just hope I get there. Do you tie your self-worth as a content creator to Barstool and what that ends? Like if, let's say they walk away from you. Yeah. You know, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. But let's say they say, you know what, maybe we'll revisit down the line, you know, no, no hard feelings, but, you know, and they've done that before with many people yeah. and they've laid people off, which they haven't done with you. Yeah. Um, you, you wouldn't be the first. Let's say that happens. Does the Chris Castellani head go into, I'm a failure, I'm done, or do you think you can compartmentalize and say, look, I build a huge audience without them. I'm going to keep being a content creator. And, you know, maybe you do have to get some other kind of job. Or something. Yeah. You're going to have phone calls, though, I is what I was told. Okay, well, I hope so. I wouldn't view myself as a failure, but I would view my tenure at Barstool as a failure, um, which would be very tough to swallow, to be honest with you. Because I, I, I don't, because you're right. Every, like, that is a misconception that a lot of people get wrong. It's like, they leave Barstool and then they're fucked. Like, no, there's been people like, fucking Pat Mack if he started Barstool. Like, it's, there's, like, people who've been crazy success stories after leaving the company, but a lot of them were success stories at the company as well. Um, it's just this, I don't know what it is, really. It's just this personal thing where it's like, I got to make it here. Like, I just, and I'm not, I, that's not me vowing to work here until I'm 75. It's just me saying, I want the completed version of Barstool Castellani to be, you know what? God, things went really sideways for a while. He got right, corrected himself, put out some really good content. People around, people liked being around him. And now he's kind of graduated into whatever would come next. I'm not even thinking about what's going to happen five years down the road, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's and I'm you know this. I'm exceptionally hard on myself with with a lot of things. And I would be hard on myself for that um, because, you know, I, I worked here for two and a half years now. And for a year and a half, I, you know, I kept fucked around a little bit. Um, but, yeah, no, it would be it would be difficult to come to terms with. But at the same time, it's not like I can't right now afford to even like think in those terms like just what's your goal tomorrow how many blogs are you going to write tomorrow how many videos are you going to put out tomorrow and just hope that something uh connects and it's 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 tough it's tough when you're remote because uh you know it's less ability to collaborate there's no like i that's why i like doing this show it's like wow built-in studio microphones cameras like i'm technologically challenged when it comes to that shit like i, I i've i think i do a pretty darn good job with my phone and my laptop all things considered but there's always that that yearn to to want to do more, to want to contribute more. Your, your stuff is so good with the bare minimum. I, I just, there's a selfish part of me that always wants to see you like with a Ben Augusta with the yeah. bright lights here. Like just, you know, you've never really had even that, even with your early iteration of your show. And I, I just, I think it'd be really fascinating to see you in that context. I mean, taking the, the fan hat off and just putting kind of like friend hat back on, mm-hmm. like my, my concern for you would be as your friend, 
I see so much worth in you just as a talent and as a person mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with Barstool that I saw years before yeah. Barstool, before I even knew anything about Barstool, then I was aware of it, but I didn't, you know, follow it at all. I don't want you to be in a situation where, you know, even if it's your decision where, look, I'm not happy with how I'm being used, or if they walk away, I'm failing, I'm done, and then I'm like back in the spiral of self-loathing. That's like something that I care about as a friend of yours, where like I'm worried that would happen, which I don't think it needs to. I think you have so much beyond that. And I'm rooting for it to work out for you at Barstool because that's what you want. Yeah. And I think that's great. And I think like you'll you don't have to respond. But Barstool, I think it'd be crazy not to keep you because for one, you're immensely talented. Nobody loves that company more than you do. I, mm. I, I, if I were them, I'd be thrilled to have somebody this talented and that dedicated to. And I totally, brand. I think there was definitely because I've tried so many times and have over the last year to put myself in their shoes and look at things from my standpoint, the things yeah. that have been made public, the things that aren't public. It's it's been a very delicate situation. And I feel like I dude, I feel like fucking shit about that. I really do. Like it's like it's hard to even express that. But I also know like there's a version of me now that is in such a better place that it would I think would be a tremendous contributor. And I, I would argue, I mean, like I am. I mean, I blog my ass off like I'm, you know, like I'm oh, you're just, helping now. I'm doing everything yeah. I can. But like no uh, that bigger, grander version. No, I mean, look, I'm with you. And, and again, it kind of speaks back to what I was talking about earlier. I have no idea what my mindset will be a year from now or six months from now regarding this job, regarding, you know, my content. Like it could completely, completely change. Um, I'm never going to want to get away from the content game or get away from being a part of sports media. It's the thing I'm best at. Like, it, as frustrating as it can be, like, I, I know my worth here. Um, so, yeah, I, I, it, decisions will have to be made, but I, I think I know what the right, you know, how, how this narrative should go. What's your one piece of advice to somebody that they called you up and said, uh, hey, I'm thinking, checking in the rehab. I'm kind of a mess. I've hurt my family. Man, it's, it's what do you say to them? It's cliche, but you ask them directly right away, do you want to stop drinking? Just right away, don't you know, don't think about it. What's your answer? If that answer is yes, then as much as it's going to suck to make sacrifices to get help, you have to do it. You have to do it. Cause that was the point I reached. Cause there was a long period where it's like, no, I want to, I want to moderate this. I want it. Like I want to keep drinking. And even when I was in rehab, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe there's, there's a part of me that, and I still, I think I will always have this inclination in the back of my head to be like, maybe I could just, you know, like every so often get, get fucked up. But I'm not, I'm not going to test it. Right. I, I really think there's so much truth to you have to hit rock bottom before you bounce back up and people's versions of rock bottom is very different. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's posting a fucking blog saying you're going to rehab. Sometimes it's losing your kids, losing your family. But I, um, what I would say, I would ask him that question, but I would also say the number one thing that you need to give yourself is a ton of time because it, I remember, uh, I kind of went about it in a different way where people tell you like, hey, man, after you get out of rehab, like avoid those situations where there's alcohol. And it's like, well, I, I, I don't want the world, the entire world to change for me type of thing. Like I, I want to still be in those situations. I just don't want to be drinking. And so I put myself in some kind of, by definition, vulnerable situations. And it sucked. It sucked being like at a fucking party where you're the one guy who's not drinking. You look fucking miserable and sad. And for those first few months, it's like, I fucking miss alcohol. I hate, I, I hate feeling this way. I feel so antisocial. And there's just, I'm not saying I feel amazing now, but I feel better now than I did at 11 months and felt better at 11 months than I did at 10. And it's so hard to preach that to people who drank because they know that quick fix is right there. 
Um, but you have to give yourself some time because I it's hard to guarantee in life. I guarantee you there's going to come a point where you feel better, where where fences start getting mended, relationships start to improve. Um, and and you just feel better about uh yourself. Like I was and, and I, you know, like I said, I don't know if I've had that like come to Jesus moment, but I was uh I was in uh uh Detroit for Thanksgiving. I was with a buddy of mine. I was with a, a, a female friend of mine that flew in. We went uh, to the Lions game together. We were at Tin Roof, which is like, you know, a place, obviously, a lot of alcohol going on. And I'm like, I don't feel, I don't feel any temptation here. Like, I feel loose right now. And that was kind of like, well, I guarantee you, me at three months would have been like, there's, I don't feel loose here. I want to go back to drinking. You have to allow yourself that time because eventually there's going, it's going to settle in. Where people go wrong is they believe that they believe that eventually there will be no thoughts of it that you'll that you won't that you'll never want to drink again. There will always be that little voice in the back of your head, but it's going to get a lot quieter as time goes on. In my Twitter bio at the end, it says "Own your baggage." I think the biggest flaw yeah. we have today is lack of accountability, lack of ability to own where you were wrong. It yeah. can be something trivial like a sports, sports take. Yeah. Or something as serious as, you know, a life situation or problem you may have caused or something you imposed. I, nobody owns their baggage more than Chris Castellani. This is true. This is very no, true. And there's a lot of baggage there. Yes. No, well, whatever it is, yeah. I mean, which is maybe even all the more impressive that you do own all of it yeah. because it's, 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 a, it's a harder thing to carry. It's a heavier suitcase. Yeah. Thank you. But I, I have to give you credit because I think that's it's the rarest quality. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the most you know, sort of dire problem is just lack of accountability on things small and big. And for whatever flaws you may have, you're out there, your stuff's out there, you own it. You're very self-aware almost to a fault and to your own detriment. But I've never felt Chris Castellani is deceiving me or deceiving his audience. No, I mean, it's part of it is like the defense mechanism, like the the last scene in Eight Mile when Eminem's like, you know, all the shit you're going to say to me, I'm going to say it right to you, bitch. So like you can't, so there's part of that. But I also... From a content standpoint, I find that interesting. I find people's vulnerability to be interesting and fun. Like I, I didn't grow up on this show because it was a bit before my time, but I love and like just consistently listen to clips from the Opie and Anthony show. And Jim Norton, who's like the third chair on that show, just told these insane stories from childhood and like getting hookers when he, you know, when he was saying he was an alcoholic, he, he became a, he got sober at 18 and it's riveting to listen to. It's riveting to listen to somebody kind of put all that baggage aside or pour all that baggage out there for people. I think it makes for a more well-rounded person. And it's like the way I communicate with people is weird. Like I don't have a ton of like close relationships. My audience is kind of the people that I talk to for better or for worse. That comes with good things that comes with bad things. But yeah, I find it like, you can say many things, but I think it's fair to say there's probably nobody at Barstool that compares to me for better or for worse. Like for, for like this journey has been wholly unique. Uh, and uh, right now it's uh, it's, I think, hopefully in a better place. Oh, you can be Barstool out of it. I don't know anybody in any walk of life like <laughs> you. Like honestly, you're, you're one, one of one. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's, I, I have a lot of walks of life and you're yeah. not. Uh, there's no like, oh, yeah, you know, he, Chris reminds me just like this other guy, Larry, that I know. Yeah. You're a one one And, you know, it, it is, you say for better or for worse, but I, I'll say you're really refreshing in how honest you are. And even to come, I mean, there was no, for the few that don't know, I mean, there's no false pretenses here. You were invited here in large part to discuss this topic. Yeah, and, no, I, I didn't get ambushed. Yeah, yeah there was no ambushing or grilling you in that yeah. sense. I mean, maybe tough questions because it's a tough topic. But I just, you know, in closing, I got to say, um, I couldn't have picked a better person to have here 
for what's a momentous occasion for us at number 100. That worked out. And, uh, you know, I, I remain your biggest fan and uh, a dear friend of yours and a person that I think is rooting harder for you than maybe anybody outside of your immediate family. Maybe, you. maybe your mom trumps me. I don't know. But uh, I'll put myself up against anybody in terms of how hard I'm rooting for you and how proud I am of you for what you've done in the last year plus. It's been difficult to watch from afar at the beginning as you were going through this. It's been something that, you know, friends, years, mutual friends of ours, I've had conversations with people. Uh, the amount of people that care and worry about you and were worried about you are probably more than even you understand. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just got to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. A lot of people are with you. And uh, if you ever need anything, let me know. And uh, I love you. I think you are an inspiration. I don't care how much it bothers you. <laughs> I know you hate that, but you have to understand your value and what your journey has meant to people, how you've helped people, whether it makes you uncomfortable or not. It's important that you understand that. I, and, I, acknowledge, you know that. I acknowledge the uniqueness of the, the journey. Obviously, you know, thank you isn't even enough there and you know that gives me kind of the opportunity here i mean there's there's kind of different sections of my my fandom but the the local like i do have a soft spot for the local like they're at three thousand followers there for the original tiger videos and it's like there's as much as i have at points complained about my situation as a, a remote employee i want to make it very clear the love i have for michigan and the love i have for the detroit-based fandom and just like to be able to go to a Lions game and people like, hey, man, I've seen your shit. Like, I love your content. We're following you. Like, I, I one story I'll tell before we get out of here is uh, I was at the Michigan-Ohio State game this year. And um, there was a gentleman. I was pretty far back. I didn't get great seats. And there was a gentleman there who was like, hey, Castellani is about five rows back. He's like, after the game, I want to get a picture with you. And I'm like, I'll, I obviously want to do it. I don't say no to fans. But I'm like, they better fucking win because I'm, I'm not smiling in this picture. Fucking <laughs> Mar Mar Marvin Harrison catches a touchdown <laughs> with 10 seconds left. Um, and, and, T, and it was it was an emotional win. And, uh, you know, gave me a big hug and, and, you know, thanked me for, you know, I love your story and said something similar to what you said. And it's like that. There is, I acknowledge, if for all the pessimism I have towards myself, there is something about this journey that has transcended sports and sports media, and I don't take that lightly at all. And I think that that um, making that a part of my legacy, whether it's at Barstool or beyond, it's, it's pretty fucking awesome. So thank you, obviously, and thank you to everybody else out there. I appreciate it. Of course, Chris, and I will continue to follow your career and be a friend of yours. And anything you ever need, we're going to be here for you. I think. Um, you know, you're, I think this puts you ahead of Tony Paul on the appearance list. So oh, am I ahead of him? No, I, I thought I it think, was maybe tied. Yeah. I, I know. Ben, tied. Oh, tied. I thought it was tied. Yeah. Okay. I don't know, but Tony never went this long. I feel like this one counts as one and a half, especially with the, the fair. hundred mark. But you know, it's again, your story's up and down. Understand it's been difficult for you in so many ways, but this is sort of the second high arc of, you know, you got the job and it was so inspiring to people. And now, you know, you're making this comeback and, uh, just going to be following you and, and rooting for you as always. And love to have you back. Maybe for episode sure. 200 and a couple between hopefully. Oh, for that. sure. Yeah, so. no, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be coming down here a ton this summer, so it'll be, we'll, we'll definitely link up. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Alabama and that thing. Uh, maybe next time. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Throw off the curb. But yeah, this was the 100th episode, Chris. Thanks yes, so much. Congratulations, for, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining us, Ben. Great job by you as always. Eric, who is definitely asleep by now, but back home, this is a, an occasion for all three of us to hit that that landmark and we're 
We're proud. We love you guys. We love Chris. And we'll see you next time for episode 101, Spiro Avenue Show. See ya.